you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. Thank you for your word through which we can hear your voice. That's what we desire this morning, Lord. Not just to, to read uh, words off a page, not to just, not to just study uh, principles in a book, but we desire, Holy Spirit, to hear the voice of Jesus. Your voice, your word is bread to our soul. And so we come hungry this morning. We come hungry, we come desperate to hear you speak in the midst of all of the noise that we are hearing in our world today, in the midst of all of the chaos, in the midst of all of the opinion and speculation and rumor and accusation and and, and, and conspiracy and theory and hope and fear in the midst of all of it, Lord. We, we want to tune all of that out and we just want to hear you today. So we ask that you would speak and we ask that you would give us the ability, the supernatural ability, the, the ability beyond ourselves, the ability to hear what it is that you're saying. What good does it do us, Lord, if you speak but we don't hear? So Lord, as your people, we ask that you would Give us ears to hear, that we might hear the sound of your voice, be it a shout or be it a whisper, or that we might hear. But Lord, we we don't just want to hear and then leave and pretend like just because we heard you speak, that was enough. No, Lord, we we, we desire that with the hearing would, would come the faith for the doing, that God, we would hear you and that we would respond to you. We would receive what it is you say and we would respond to what it is you say, that we would leave this place fundamentally different than we came in. Lord, I need to be ever more transformed into your image in my practical daily experience. Lord, I know that you have imparted to your children, to your people, your righteousness. Lord, let us walk out this place, walk out of this place looking, smelling, talking, walking, interacting with, carrying a little more of you as we leave this place that the world might know the good that comes from following you and you might receive the full weight of the glory that is due your name. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Go ahead and greet somebody around you real fast and then grab a seat. Awesome, awesome, awesome. It's good to have you all here with us. As we continue through this, uh, through this journey we've embarked on together, I want to talk to you this morning uh, under the title, under the heading, The Journey Continues. The Journey Continues. As I said, we're, we're going to probably spend uh, a few weeks 
exploring the text we just read. So this morning, my, my goal is not to be exhaustive in our exploration of it, but rather to just sort of maybe, if I can use this analogy, sort of help us wrap our arms around it and know kind of what we're dealing with. Uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to be a Bible teacher this morning. Let's, let's try this out for a change. See what's going on. So, so you ready for a super profound, are you ready? You need to be ready for this super profound statement about this text. Yeah. You ready? Here we go. Here's, here's my super profound, uh, you gotta go to Bible college for a lot of years to figure this out. <laughs> chapter 10 comes after chapter nine. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> chapter 10 comes after chapter nine. I know that seems, and it is, an overly simplistic statement, but, but I, I need us to, to understand this, that, that chapter 10 and chapter 9 are the same story. They are a progression of the same account. Um, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. The, the New Testament's predominantly given to us. Predominantly, we, it's, it's an ancient document. Obviously, about 2,000 years ago, it was written. The, the manuscripts of which we have are predominantly in a language called Greek. And that, that the, these manuscripts that we have do not have the chapter and verse numbers that you and I are familiar with. So, so chapter 10 that we, we just started reading, that's not in those original manuscripts. What, why am I pointing that out? These are not divinely inspired uh, uh, separations. They're there for our help. They're good, right? They're not bad. They're not evil. They're not wicked. They're not, you know, the devil sewed numbers into my Bible. That's not what's going on, Okay. <laughs> They're there, they were placed there by scribes to help us be able to do what we're doing right now and, and sort of make our way through the text together. But they're not originally there. What I need you to see is that, that this is just a progression of chapter nine. This is important because, because this is Jesus sort of concluding what it is that happened in chapter nine. So, so because I want you to be able to do this on your own and not have to think, oh, now I have to learn Greek, you don't have to learn Greek. In fact, I would encourage you not to. It just is a way to waste space in your brain. If you've got a good translation of the Bible, you are good to study the Bible in English, okay? Let's just get that, make that clear. Um, you know, I, I would recommend the best translation, the ESV, but if you want an inferior translation, you're welcome to use something else. I'm kidding. So, so, so my question is, is there evidence in the text alone in, in just what we just read that, that this is connected? Yes, there, there, there is. There's, there's evidence in the text. First off, there's no break in the flow from chapter 9 to ch chapter 10. If you, if you read the end of chapter 9 and just keep reading and, and ignore the, the chapter break, there's no, there's no shift. There's not a change of scenery. There's not a change of location. There's no indication that this is not directly tied in with what previously uh, came before it. Also, in verse 6 of chapter 10, they use the pronouns they and them without uh, denoting or identifying who they're talking about because they've already done that. You understand English, you understand that if you use a pronoun but you've already talked about it, right? It's connected, it's already there. So, so clearly the, the writer is connecting all of this together, but I think the strongest evidence that this is the conclusion to chapter nine actually comes in the last verse that we read in, in verse 21 where, where it refers to the healing of the blind man. In case you missed chapter nine, let me just summarize very quickly Jesus is, is, is walking in Jerusalem. He sees a, a man who is blind. The scriptures tell us blind from birth. 
and Jesus miraculously heals this man and then a whole bunch of ruckus starts after this. People start freaking out because here's this guy who is born blind and, and people are, are, are just marveling at the fact that he's been healed and yet simultaneously some people, and I love this, uh, conspiracy theories have abounded forever. They, they think that no, he just looks like the blind guy. I don't get this at all. So like Jesus went out and found the doppelganger of the blind guy. Did he like kidnap the blind guy? Uh, you know, knock him over the head, put a burlap bag over him and throw him out of the city. And then like, no, look, this is the blind guy. No, no, rather this is the same guy, but people are arguing about it. He gets taken into the temple. They question him. The dude, if, if you haven't read chapter nine, please read it. Because in it, we prove that, that sarcasm is biblical because this dude just rags on the leaders as they're questioning him. He asks if they want to become a Jesus follower. They get upset at that and kick him out of church. They literally, which should, should be a warning to all of us sarcastic people, what happens when you're sarcastic with people? So uh, gets kicked out of church, and then after he gets kicked out of the, 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 the sort of in crowd, the tabernacle, the temple, he's, he's removed from fellowship with the people of God. That's when Jesus goes and finds him. Come on. Not before, but after. Jesus goes and finds him, reveals himself to him. The man begins to worship him. Jesus declares that he is the judge come to judge this broken system and that, that these leaders think they can see, but they're actually blind. This man was blind, but he can actually see. The leaders get frustrated by this, and then Jesus responds with this teaching. Do you see now why we have to connect chapter 9 to chapter 10? You, you've got to get, this is not just Jesus telling a nice story about him being a shepherd. This is him trying to contrast his, his, his sacrificial nature as a shepherd and their self-preservation nature as false leaders. He's calling out a broken system. We have to get this because while we might not all come from places where we, we worship inside of religious institutions, all of us go to broken systems and try to find, find fulfillment, find satisfaction, find security, figure out who we are. And Jesus is saying all of those things are, are, are going to ultimately fail you. That he's the only one, that he is the, the ultimate one that can fulfill this. Because when it comes to being in the family of God, when it comes to being in the people of God, or is this, this passage uses the flock of God, it is all about Jesus. sort of a motto around here. It's all about Jesus. Everything is all about Jesus. Jesus. So Jesus points them to himself. That These leaders are upset because he called them blind. And so Jesus said, oh, you misunderstand. I really care about you and I love you. I'm sorry I offended you. No, he says, no, actually, you're not just blind, but you're thieves and robbers. <laughs> I love Jesus. People who think Jesus was like this feathered hair guy who like just, they don't get Jesus. He doubles down on the scenario. He says, no, you, you, you don't get it. You're, you're not even, you, you think you're the ones that get to determine who's in and who's out, and you're not even in in the first place. Because Jesus is the one entrance and the one entrusted with God's people. He's the way into the people of God, and he's the one that, that guards and guides the people of God. I like to say it this way. He's the corridor, and he's the caregiver. How about this? How about this? He, he's the one that lets us in, and he's the one that leads us through. It, 
See, I think some of us think that, that no, 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 you, you start with Jesus and then you move on to something else. Or maybe you, 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 you gotta get good enough and then you can attain Jesus. Both of those things are fundamentally wrong. Jesus, Jesus, in his words, Jesus says he's the door and he's the shepherd. He's the way you get in, into the people of God. He's the entry point and he's the one that then guards you and guides you throughout this life. What Jesus is trying to say to these, these, these religious leaders who, who somehow think that they have attained to their position or they have, that, that they, they are worthy of being the people of God, he's trying to say, listen, it doesn't matter. All the things that you use to try to, to prop yourself up and, and claim your position are ultimately meaningless inside the kingdom. He's saying it's not about your birth. You can't just be born into the family of God. You have to be born again into the family of God. It's not about having right beliefs and I, I know all the right doctrines and I, I can check off all the boxes and I can answer all the questions properly. No, it's about belief in the sense of entrusting yourself to Christ. It's not about what club or what, what, what clique or what group you belong to. It's about belonging to Christ. Are you his? It's not even, and this, this is where it gets diced. This is where, this is where religious folks, church people, don't like what I'm about to say, but I like saying it. <laughs> it's not even about your behavior. Well, if you do the right things, then you're a Christian. No. Jesus says, Jesus says this, do you look to him to be the one that guides your behavior? Or are you still obsessed with some external set of rules? Because the new covenant, the promise of the new covenant, the promise of the people of God now in this age, in this day, is that he will not, listen, he will, he will not put up a law externally and say, follow this, but he says he will actually write his law, come on, in your heart. Amen. Where my desires change, where I fundamentally don't want to do what I used to do. It's not about some external set of rules that I have to follow that are laborious and, and, and cumbersome, but rather now my desires have shifted. This is where I like to say, listen, even if, if you struggle with some of the same uh, patterns of sin in your life, has your desire changed? That's what it's all about. And I have to then say, I have to say the opposite. I don't care how well you've been able to modify or alter your behavior. If you still desire the same things you used to desire, I can give you no assurance of your salvation. I don't care if you, if you don't you know, drink, smoke, or chew, or talk to anybody who do. If you still long for those things, if that's still the pull on your heart, there is still transformation that needs to take place within you. Because Jesus, yes, he changes our behaviors, but he changes the way we, we behave by changing the things that we desire. He takes, I love the way that the prophets say it, he takes the heart of stone, he removes that, and he places within us a heart of flesh. He takes out of us this hard, uh, dead, calloused, non-responsive thing within us, and he places within us something tender and alive and malleable and able to be guided by him. Jesus says, it's, it's through me that you enter into this thing. It's, it's me. It's, it's, I, I like to say it this way. Jesus is inclusively exclusive. Anybody can come through the one way of salvation. 
It's not about race, religion, creed, background, history. None of those, all of those things, hear me, all of those things are irrelevant. Jesus says that he is the only way, and he says, I am the singular, only door. There is one flock with one shepherd, one way in. He is the door, he is the shepherd. As the door, he is our sole point of entrance. To accept, I I, I gotta get this, to accept Jesus as the door is to say that you don't have another way in other than him. You can't make your own way in. Well, if I can just climb over enough, if I can just achieve enough, if I can just reach a level, no, 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 you've gotta humble yourself and go through the door. As I was doing a little research into this, this word door in the Greek, I, I was fascinated by one of the, one of the applications of it. it in, in, the, in the culture of the time, they used the, the idea that this word door is the idea of the entryway into a, a, like a palace. And, and by using door, they were sort of symbolizing that you, you met the requirements necessary to enter into the place that's on the other side of the door. I think the best way we can, we can understand this is if, if you've ever been to a, a, a real city, has like a public transportation system. <laughs> and you, 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 they, have these, they have these entry points that have these, uh, my, my wife and I were in Paris a little over a year ago and they have an amazing underground train system there and, and we were making our way through the city trying to see everything we could in about 24 hours because that's all the time we had there. And so we're like, what, what, what should we see? And my, I asked my wife, what should we see in Paris? Well, we're here, we, have 20, we literally had 24 hours to look around. She goes, everything. Okay, so we tried to see everything. You just see it real quick. Just there it is, then you go. Um, and, and we had to use the public transportation. And they, they have these gates that sort of shut. But if, you, if you've paid your fare, you can scan your little ticket and the gates open up for you and you can go in. Same, same idea, right, when you get on an airplane. Does anybody remember what it was like to fly before, I don't know, 9-11? Yeah. Uh, we, were, we were watching some show with our kids, some, some older, you know, 90s show with our kids and and, and, and somebody was, like they did in the 90s, somebody was rushing to the airport to uh, stop somebody they loved from flying away. And they just ran through the airport and they ran up to the gate and our kids go, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you used to could. You used to could. Um, and now, right, you've got to go through all these steps and show ID and do all these things and, and, and get violated and then go through. And then, then you get to the gate finally and you give them your ticket. And if, if, you're, if your name matches the ticket and the ticket matches the flight, they let you in. All the, all the requirements have been met. That's what Jesus is trying to say when he says he's the door. He's the one that meets all the requirements for you. He's met all the, he's done all the things. All you've got to do is, is, is walk through it. All the requirements, all that is necessary, he has accomplished. He's the sole point of entry. He, he's the one who now says, listen, it's not about Jesus plus something else. It's not about, well, accept Jesus and then shape up and fly straight. No, Jesus plus nothing. I, I, like, I, like, I like the, the, the statement, I think, I think it was uh, Jonathan Edwards who said that, that you, you provide nothing for your salvation except your need for it. The only thing you bring to the table when it comes to salvation is that you need to be saved. 
Okay, Jesus plus nothing. He's saying, listen, come to me, trust me, rest in me, abide in me. That's your part. Walk through the gate. He's the only way in. He's the only way in. He, he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say he's the door. He then says he's the shepherd. As the shepherd, he's the one who guides and guards us. He's the one who lays down his life for us. For him to be the shepherd, though, <laughs> you have to be a sheep. This is where the rub comes in. It's like, well, I, I wanna, I wanna, like, listen, never in the history of any motivational poster in any place I ever worked. Anybody ever go to a break room at a, at a place you work and they have motivational posters up? Right, they're wonderful and they have, they always have eagles or lions. They never have sheep. They ne being called a sheep is not a, a, is not a compliment. Right now, people are afraid to, to follow guidelines because they don't want to be sheeple. And Jesus says, if you want to be a part of his family, you have to be willing to be a sheep. When it comes to your relationship with him, he's got to be the one in charge. We have to trust him to lead us and to feed us. He's where it all comes from. You want to know, you, you want to know what it's like to, to have Jesus as your shepherd? Here's, here's, your, here's your homework for the day. I don't have time to go into this and preach through it. Psalm 23. If you've ever been to a Christian funeral or a mildly Christian funeral, you've heard Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside green pastures. He, he, he takes me to still waters. Come on, that's what, it's, that's what it's like. Take the time this week and read Psalm 23. That's what it's like to have Jesus as your shepherd. But he gets to be the one to lead you. And you know what? He leads you, the scripture, the Psalm 23 says, yes, he leads you to, to, to fields and to still waters, but he also leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. We trust him and we rely on him and we rest in him. Jesus is our shepherd. His rod and his staff, come on, they protect, but they also correct, amen? So both of these things, when we understand this, the exclusivity of Jesus being the only way in and his call for us to be sheep, both of these things, to receive Jesus as door and shepherd requires humility. We have to admit that we can't make it in on our own. We have to admit that we can't, we can't figure out how to stay in once we're there. That's how I try to summarize this. As the door, by saying Jesus is the door, we're admitting that we cannot earn it. By trusting Jesus as the shepherd, we're saying we cannot merit it. I can't earn it before I get it. I can't merit it once I have it. These are the two lies that religion tries to tell us. Was I the only one that, that's ever heard that? And the only one that's ever subtly been sort of tried to be led into that sort of thinking that, that if, I, if I really wanna be in, in the in crowd with God, if I really wanna be accepted by God, I have to do something before I'm accepted to get in. Maybe you were spared from that lie. You were, you were told, no, he'll accept you by his own death, burial, and resurrection. He'll, he'll accept you because of what he did. But then, then the sort of the subtle little implication is, okay, now that you're in, you better do right because he's just waiting you mess up, banhammer. That's what's, it's just gonna, just, he's just, he just, Jesus is just, give me a reason. I will kick you out so fast, your head will spin. It's like my dad used to say to me. He told me I needed to obey 
because he made me, and if I disobeyed, he could end me and make another one that looks just like me. Because <laughs> all of my siblings and I look the same. So he's like, I, I can make another one. Just give me a reason. It's like, that, that can be sometimes. My dad and I have a good relationship. It's okay. Um, people are like, he needs therapy. Probably, but let's not go there. Um, We've got to understand that's not, that's not what the Father's like, that, that it's, it's not a matter of earn it before or merit it after. It's a matter of receiving and resting. We receive it and we rest in it. Now, as part of the, the family of God, as part of the flock of God, we trust him and him alone for both our acceptance and our access to the Father. And I love, I love this, though. It doesn't stop there. Jesus doesn't just say, I, I, I want to I find you and I want you to follow me. And that's just where it ends. But he actually goes in to describe, and he, he contrasts a little bit here, that their leadership and his leadership. And what he says in his leadership, he says that false leaders, let me talk about that first. False leaders, I love this. He says, he says the thief comes, this is verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We always talk about that like it's the devil, Anybody ever heard that applied to the devil? The thief comes only, they always have a southern accent, to rob and steal and kill and destroy. But he's actually talking, he's actually talking about jacked up leaders. He's not talking about devils. He's talking about unqualified leaders. Now you could apply this to religious leaders, absolutely. There's a whole channel on TV full of them. Did you say that? Yeah. It's not untrue. <laughs> you can apply it to that, but 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 that if, if I just want to be honest here, that's easy for us to do. Oh, we'll just apply it to, to, to messed up religious leaders. But the exact same thing is true of the systems and structures, the corporations and the companies that try to get you to spend your life to earn or to merit some standing that they say you can have if you buy their crap. Don't believe me? In a couple months, a new version of this stupid thing is going to come out, and all of us are going to go, I just can't be happy unless I have the one with the S after the number. <laughs> Why? Because it costs more. Does your old one not work? Oh, it works, but it won't work as good as the new one. The new one has a Swiss Army knife on the back. I don't know what they're going to add to the phone next to make me think I need it. Well, we will, right? Like, like some, if it's not that, it's something else. If you're not into phones, you're into cars. If you're not into cars, you're into the, the newest athlete that you gotta be a fan of or the newest device, the newest whatever it is. These companies wager billions of dollars knowing that they can get you to believe that you either have to earn or merit happiness and acceptance. And Jesus comes and says, those, all those people are thieves and robbers. Their goal is not to make your life better. Listen, I love you. Apple does not care how good your life is. They care how big their bank account is. Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble right now. <laughs> the political system that is built up in this country does not care how happy your life is. All they want is the authority and power that they currently possess or to get more of it. Well, that's the other group, not my group. That's why I'm in my group, because my group really cares about my happiness. No, they don't. Jesus said they're thieves and robbers. 
four more years or four different years is not going to solve the problem in America. Only Jesus can do that. If you're trusting four more or four different, you're trusting in the wrong thing. Because here's what I know come the day after election day, the incumbent will still be on the throne. Jesus is not up for re-election. He's still ruling and reigning in heavenly places until all of his enemies are placed under his feet. That's what we need to be about. Listen, vote, please vote, because if you don't vote, you don't get to complain about who's in office. Your little I voted sticker, that's your permission to complain about whoever won because you participated, and even if your guy won or if your guy loses, you get to complain. That's, that's, let's get back to the text. So I told you I'd do my best to be a Bible teacher this morning. I just struggle with it. So, so Jesus contrasts this, right? He says, those are, those are all thieves and robbers. Yes, religious, but also cultural leaders. They're all, they're, their sole purpose is to try to get from you. To rob, kill, steal, destroy. They're trying to get everything from you so they can have more. And yet he says for himself, he lays down his life and and Jesus imparts the abundant life we were designed for. You tracking with me here? That's the difference. That's the difference. They all come to try to, to get from you. Jesus says he came to give to you. How good is our God? Everybody else is trying to get from you. Everybody else says, you've got to give to get. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to give away. You've got to somehow. And Jesus says, no, listen, I'm just trying to get abundant life to you. I'm trying to get this thing imparted to you. You having life and having it in abundance is the goal and gift of Jesus. You having life and having it in abundance is the goal and gift of Jesus. Six of you hit the second one. Okay, this, this is his goal. This is what he says he's trying to get to you. Jesus, in his Okay, this is not a word, but just in his doorness and his shepherdness. <laughs> if I say it, it's a word, right? His doorliness. I don't know how you say that. In, in the way that he's a door. There we go. I can speak English. In the way that he's a door, in the way that he's a shepherd. If I haven't offended you already, here we go. He never mentions not going to hell and getting to go to heaven. <laughs> I thought that was the whole goal. No, he says, I'm trying to get life to you now. Which implies that just like the leaders were blind and they didn't know it because they were outside of Christ, we are dead and don't know it when we're outside of Christ. So listen, I'm super grateful. I want to make sure I always say this because I, I, I don't want there to be any misunderstanding in this area. I'm really happy that I don't have to go to hell. Like super glad about that. Like, woohoo! Like, like, like the yay, because I read about it. 
And people are like, well, it doesn't really, it's, it's really just, a, listen, I have not read one interpretation. Honestly, I haven't read one interpretation, be it Orthodox Christian or even heresy about hell, that I'm like, no, I'd go there. <laughs> like nothing. Like people are like, oh, it just means you go there, you burn up and you don't exist anymore. That doesn't sound like any more fun than existing in eternal torment. Honestly, <laughs> I like being alive. It's enjoyable for the most part. Okay, the, the, I'm, I'm really glad that that, 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 that that punishment has been averted for the people of God, but I worry that we'll be satisfied with just that and we'll miss out on the good that he intends for us and he'll miss out on the glory that he is due because he says that he's trying to get abundant life to you. So let's define abundant life. What is abundant life? Really, 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 really quickly here. Abundant life. So, so, so here's my simple definition. Abundant, what, is, what does abundant mean? It means to have more than you need so you become a conduit, not just a container. When you, when you dive into all of the Greek and all of the, the, the definitions about uh, you know, being superfluous and being, being over and above and more than expected and more than necessary, it all boils down, I think, to this, that, that you have more than you need so that you're not just, not, just, not just that you have enough or that you have more than enough, but that you have enough so that you become actually a conduit that, that, that what is put in you starts to flow from you. And what is it that's placed within you? It's life. This word life is, is the Greek word zoe. Everybody say zoe. Zoe. Zoe is an amazing word. We don't have time to dive into it all today, but let me just put it as simply as I can. It means to live, not just to, not, not just to be alive. It means a living, a way of living, a way of life. It means having meaning in your life. Ultimately, I think what, what when we boil all of this down and we, we, we tack it together here, I think that, that Jesus calls us to humbly accept him as the door and the shepherd, and that humility then gives us access to, to, to the big three, I call them, identity, security, and felicity. This is what, this is what the world is, is telling you you have to earn or merit. You gotta do all this stuff or get all this stuff to know who you are. You have to do all this stuff or get all this stuff to have some sort of safety and stability in your life. Felicity is, is, is just a $17 word that means to be like super freaking happy. And I like it because it makes it all sort of rhyme. So, um, so, 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 so the world tells you, you gotta, you gotta get, earn, or merit, or achieve, or attain all this stuff or these accomplishments so you can be happy. And Jesus comes in and says, look, I'm trying to get that kind of abundant life to you. Not, not by your earning it and not by your meriting it. Because you see, anything you earn or anything you merit, you have to then defend yourself. But when he gives it to us, come on, I, I just have to receive it. He's trying to get so, so much identity, so much security, so much felicity into you that you become a conduit of that in wherever you are. As you go to work, as you eventually somehow, after all these people just stop dropping dead, get to go back to school, wherever you might be, wherever he places you, you become a conduit of that. 
It's not about everyone's got to jump up on a stage like this and preach like this. It's not about you've got to, you know, go find a soapbox and a, and a bullhorn and stand outside downtown somewhere and just make people annoyed. It's not about you, you know, starting a blog or, 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 or post about it on Facebook. Listen, he might ask you to do any or all of those things, but, but regardless of where you are, you simply become a conduit when you recognize that he's given you more than you need. That's what abundant life means. So what abundant life does not mean is things and stuff. Sorry, I'm back to the guys on TV. Because that's what they tell us abundant life is. You'll just have, you know, gold underwear and fancy cars and big houses. And if your life's like theirs, your wife will look like she lost a paintball war in her face. And it'll just be the abundant life with marble columns and gold everything. That's the abundant life. That, that has nothing, that is so pathetically miserable compared to what Jesus actually desires to impart to his people that it is sickening. Amen. And I actually have no problem making fun of it publicly because it's ridiculous when you compare to what it actually has been accomplished and purchased for us. The reality is that teaching, that abundant life is about stuff and things, is the same teaching that, the, that Apple and Google and, and Amazon is trying to tell you. Just get more stuff, and then you'll know who you are, and then you'll be secure, and then you'll have happiness. But, but, but if you do it the TV preacher way, you sprinkle some Jesus on top, and then everything is just better. I know some of you in the room right now is like, but I like this one TV preacher. Fine, like the TV preacher. Just don't believe any heresy they tell you. I don't know. Check what they say against the Bible. I know that's a weird new idea, but try it. Maybe you'll like it. So Christ's leadership, I want, I want, to, be, I want to be clear on this. Say it this way. Jesus wants to impart such a degree of life to us that we become agents of his goodness in the earth. Now, now, now he speaks here, and so I want to speak here very, very boldly and very clearly about the abundant life he desires to give to us. But I would be neglecting something necessary if I didn't say that following Jesus is not always safe. I've quoted this before, I'll quote it again. My favorite thing that C.S. Lewis ever wrote is in the Chronicles of Narnia. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Reepicheep is asked that the, the, the children find out. If you haven't read it, read it. I don't have time to, to teach on I could. Who wants to just have me teach for like an hour on The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? Um, uh, and, and they, they find out Aslan, which is this picture, these, these children, these, these human children find out that Aslan, this, this great deliverer that they've been waiting for, they find out he's actually a giant lion. And they ask a talking rat. See, if you haven't read the book, I'm really selling it good. If, they ask a talking rat. They say, well, he's, he's a lion. They say, well, is he safe? And I, and I, love, I, love, I love what C.S. Lewis says. In this picture, in this, in, this, in this type, in the shadow of Jesus as our deliverer, he says, of course he isn't safe, but he is good. See, following Jesus is not always safe, but it is always good. Even when it's scary, even when it's costly, even when it's, it's legitimately dangerous, it's still good. Yeah. 
it's still good because he's always good. He is only ever always good. So everything that he does is good. This is why we can say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This means he can lead me down a path where I always win or he can lead me down a path where I always lose and I know that whatever the outcome, it's the best thing that could have happened because he's good. I pray and get healed. That's the best thing that could have happened. I pray and don't get healed. That's the best thing that could have happened. This takes a trust in the goodness of God that is not common inside of bumper sticker Christianity. So what we see then, what we see in Jesus is a call. Will you embrace and entrust Jesus for your acceptance, for your access, come on, and for your abiding in him? That's the call. That's what Jesus is asking of us. Not looking to other stuff, not looking to other things, not looking to other people, not looking to other possessions or, or achievements, not if I can just get the right amount of money in the bank or if I can just overcome this addiction or if I can just over... No, no, no. He, he said, well, you look to him and to him alone. Because listen, 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 I love you too much. Everything else will fail you. Everything else will let you down or... or you will let it down. <laughs> let me put it this way. The phone will break or you will break the phone. <laughs> okay? I, I remember, I, I, I'm not a car guy, really. I'm just, I'm not. If, if you are, like, <clears throat> okay. Well, but I'm just, I'm just don't, I just don't care. Like, I, if I fit in it, I'm happy, right? Like, <laughs> I'm 6'3", if I can fit in the car, I'm good. If I don't have to climb into it or out of it, I'm pretty happy driving. If it goes most of the time, I'm, I'm happy. But I remember one time, because you have to do this once in your life, my wife and I bought a brand new car. And I was just like, that, in that moment, I was like, this is pretty cool, this is a brand new car. And then I, I literally remember like driving off the lot, and when it rolled over 100 miles, I was like, oh, it's not new anymore. It's kind of not new. And then the miles just keep, the more you drive it, I don't know if you know this, the more you drive it, the more miles there are on it. It's not new anymore. And then eventually the new car, little stuff starts to rattle just like your old car. <laughs> Except with the new car, <laughs> you still have to keep buying it. <laughs> stuff just wears out. The, 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 the dangerous part about trying to find your security, identity, and felicity in stuff when, when it breaks, you have to pay for it. When it fails, you're stuck with the bill. This is true of stuff. This is true of achievements. This is true of relationships. This is true of everything else except for Jesus. Because where we failed, he's already made it up. Where sin abounds, come on, grace abounds all the more. So the question that, that I want to ask us is, 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 do you, will you embrace and entrust Jesus for your acceptance, for your abiding, and for the abundant life that he desires for you? Because that's, that's his heart for you. 
That's what he wants for you. That's what he, that's what he died to give you. So will you enter through him? Not, not trying to make it up on your own, not trying to achieve it on your own. Will you follow him? Will you follow Jesus? And will you look to him and to him alone for your identity, for your security? For Listen, I feel like there are people in the room this morning, believers, people who would say, I am in the family of God. I'm following Jesus. I love Jesus. And yeah, I mess up. And yes, this happens. But man, my, he's, he's my guy. But this morning, I feel like the Lord wants to, I'm gonna use a word that might make some of you uncomfortable. You, truth is, it'll make you uncomfortable if you have been around church for a while. I feel like he wants to bring deliverance to some people. And, and I make fun of things like phones and cars and relationships, but for some of us, these are very real things. If I can just get enough of this, if I can just achieve this, if I can just get her or him or them, or if I can just get them to behave... <laughs> Sorry, did that slip out? <laughs> then I'll be, I'll know who I am. I'll be safe. I'll be stable. I'll be happy. And man, the Lord, the Lord wants you to deliver. As the good shepherd, he wants to lay his life down for you and deliver you from all of that stuff. How do you know if that stuff, because let me be clear, the stuff isn't bad. I, I, have, <laughs> I have the newest home. Okay, the stuff isn't bad. How do you know if the stuff has reached a place in your life? How do you know when a good thing becomes a God thing? How do you know that difference? And we'll land the plane here. How do you know that difference? How do you know, let me say it this way, how do you know if you need to repent today? See, if it's a good thing, I receive it with joy and I give it up with joy. If it's become a God thing, I receive it with joy and if it leaves, I don't know what to do with myself. And, and the danger for a lot of believers is that the very best gifts that God gives us are the easiest ones to become these sort of idols in our life. I'll, I'll be totally transparent. I struggle to not make my wife and kids an idol. I, 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 this isn't bragging because it has nothing to do with me. I have a great marriage. I love. My, it's all my wife's fault. <laughs> she puts up with me, and I get to live with her. Like it's just pray for her. I got her when she was really young. She didn't know she could have done way better. <laughs> she hates it when I say this stuff. And yet I still do. See, this is why you need to pray. I know she's annoyed at me right now. And I'm still like, let's just keep fishing. Um, I'm sorry. I struggle to not, I, mean, I have a great relationship with my kids. Because their mom has raised them very well. I struggle to not make an idol out of them. It's easy, this is what I'm trying to say, it's easy to make things into idols. For the people of God, he's our only God. He's our only way in. He's the only one we follow. And I feel like this morning, he just wants to bring some, some deliverance to people. So let's stand to our feet. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna respond.
And if you're here and you, you would say, yeah, I need, I need to respond to this, be it for that reason, the, the, the finding your identity in him, or, or be it for other reasons, be it maybe, maybe for you in this season, it's, it's, it's not that. Maybe for you, this is your season where you need to start following Jesus. You need to enter in through Jesus. You've been trying to make it on your own and make yourself better. Maybe, maybe you were like me and you thought if you can just somehow get good enough and smart enough that somehow you can be accepted. And, and Jesus would say, no, that's, that's not it at all. You need to simply enter in through me. Maybe for you, that's, that's the place where you are. Maybe for you, it's, it's a place where the Lord is, is calling you into some things and you, you don't want to... You don't want to follow him where he's leading you because you're afraid because it's not safe. It might make some people unhappy. It might cost you something. He would say, no, it's, if he's leading you there, it'll be good. I'm saying it'll be safe. I'm certainly not saying it'll be easy. I'm not saying it will be free. I'm saying it will be good. things, I want to encourage you to just cry out to the Lord. You don't need magic words from me. You don't need me to lead you in a prayer. You need to cry out to the Lord yourself. Now, we will have a team of people available back here behind the chairs here in this sort of lit area back there. We'll have a few people back there that would love to stand with you and pray with you. If you're going through some of those things and you want somebody to, to just believe God with you and pray God, pray, pray to God with you and, and just meet you in that place, they would love, listen, love the opportunity to do that. Not diminishing the, the the power of that in any way. But I'm telling you, right where you are right now, you can begin to cry out to him. We're also going to respond with communion. We take communion as believers every week, remembering how all of this was made possible for us, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. During this season, we're doing what I horribly call Keurig communion, where we've got the little cups with the cracker on top and the grape juice in the middle. We're working on a way to get back to taking communion now, that's where we are. Those are available on tables around the back of the room. If you're a believer, we invite you to take communion with us. Don't care if this is your first time with us. You don't have to be a part of our, our church or a part of it, a specific denomination. You're, if you're a believer, you're welcome to take it. If you're still on that journey where you're exploring faith in Christ, I just want to encourage you, this is something that Christians are called to do, so you don't have to pretend like you're one and, and take communion. It's part of why we don't pass buckets, so you don't have to feel awkward and go like, no thanks. Welcome to if you're a believer, however sing, we're going to respond, we're going to worship. We're going to believe God to encounter us in this moment. Amen? So let's bow our heads, let's, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, Lord, thank you that you, you lead and guide us to Jesus. Jesus, thank you that you make a way for us in yourself. Well, that you've accomplished everything necessary for us to be accepted. That there's nothing left for us to do in and of ourselves that you and you alone are, are the one who paid the price and made a way for us. Jesus, we celebrate you today. God, I ask that you would grant repentance and faith to those who are here. That you would draw us near to you. Lord, I ask that you would shatter idols today. Lord, that you would deliver us from, from putting our, our hope and our trust by deliver us from looking to, to stuff and things and people and relationships and achievements to know who we are, to know joy, to know safety. Jesus, would you come
shatter idols today. Would you come and have your way in this place as we respond to you, God, be exalted and glorified in our midst.